Mary Flora Bell, whomever and wherever she is today, will forever be known as the little girl with the angelic face who killed two small boys. In 1968, it was a crime which was quite unheard of, especially in her small corner of the world, Newcastle, upon Tyne, England. That was from Mary Flora Bell, the horrific true story behind an innocent girl serial killer by Ryan Becker, Nancy Visay, and True Crime 7. With that said, roll the theme music. Hello, everybody. This is Mike, and I'm sitting across from the lovely Jory, who's about half a bottle of wine deep right now at this point. <laughs> the one and only. So we decided that um, to christen our first episode in our, I don't even know what we're going to call this place. We got a new studio. We vamped it up. We got on Amazon. Well, Mike we got, got on-, on Amazon. I got on Amazon and I spent $30 on a wooden ashtray that's ginormous. It's about, I don't know, five inches thick. (laughs) And now I want one too. Now she wants one too. It doubles as a coaster, um, which is why she wants one. I want it to hold my alcohol. If it's thick, it doesn't quit. (laughs) Anyway, so So, Jory, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Mike? What have you been up to? It's been a little while since we've been recording. I've been working a lot. That's really all it is. <laughs> nothing else? Nothing else is going on? Um, Other than our, you know, uh, working out every week of the night tangents when I'm not bailing out just to eat Sour Patch Kids on the couch and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Wait, you've done that? You've bailed on me to go watch RuPaul and eat Sour Patch Kids? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. This is how our friendship is strong. And here's the thing is she'll wait until like, she'll she'll keep me going until like 9.30 at night and she'll be like, can we just do it tomorrow? <laughs> our friendship is strong. Our time. Our, can we just do it tomorrow? No, our sense of time is off because even when I am on for the gym, Mike will be like, all right, 10.30, when 10.30 really means like 11.45 midnight. <laughs> Don't come at me, okay? I do what I can. So hey, tonight. At least what? when we go at midnight, we have Russian guy. We'll have to tell him about Russian guy sometime. Yeah, Russian guy is our favorite um, gym compatriot. He's there and he uh, is big. It does a little dance when he's <laughs> he, on the treadmill. He does a little dance on the treadmill. Um, he wears cut polo shirts instead of like tank tops, you know. That's great. If the gym had a reality show, he would definitely be a regular. My favorite thing about Russian man is that he drives a tiny car. <laughs> he drives a, a very tiny car. It's almost like a, a clown car. And then he gets out and then he goes on the treadmill and then he just starts dancing. And I'm speaking I'm speaking of him out of like nothing but love. because <laughs> We have an obsession with him. I look him, forward like... to seeing him every night and he has no idea that we even exist. <laughs> Like, we are seriously always watching him. Like, he has no idea. It's fabulous. Anyway. So, um, but we're not here to talk about no. Rush, Russian man. We're, we're, not. Here, we're not here to talk about the gym. We're here to talk about 
Mary Florabelle. Yeah, Mary Florabelle. She is kind of uh, an oddity. She is. And she obviously has very creepy eyes because I've had articles of her just laying out in my apartment doing some research and my boyfriend is just not about it. He's like, you need to get this episode done so this spooky bitch can go because I'm not about this because he is 100% opposite of me and is just not interested in anything like this yeah she's pretty spooky look she is and if you want to see a picture of her there will probably be one linked in the show notes also on our instagram page google uh, google as well too yeah also uh we have a website now which is called strangeheartland.com it's very easy to get to looks very nice by the way thank you mike does all that stuff myself Mike does a lot of the handiwork of putting the websites together. I just take pictures and try to do most of the Instagram. So I, ha- <laughs> I handle the gram. She handles the gram. Anyway, um, so yeah, there is a website now. And I've only been talking about the website for about two years, but it's finally done. And um, so you can find the podcast there and we'll start posting our show notes on the website. Um, also, we will be... I'm working with a friend of mine who's a graphic designer out of Indianapolis, and um, he's going to be doing some designs for us for, like, you know, merch or whatever and stickers. Nothing serious, but every little bit helps, um, and it goes to funding the podcast. Every little bit. You want a Strange Heartland t-shirt. Every little bit helps, and it's always going to go directly to the podcast. It's not going to go in our pocket or anything like that. Um, So a couple things we have going on right now. We just got off uh, from doing this. We did two shows tonight, basically. Um, the first show that we did um, <laughs> was an interview that was really good, and we loved it. Um, and we had a wouldn't you say that it was like probably was, the best interview? That, it was so good. It was like magnifique, and then like and it all came crashing down as soon as I was like, Jory, I don't think that we captured any of his audio. So if you have any doubt about us, we are definitely two very passionate people. This is very much like we just enjoy doing this anything that goes above and beyond is would just be a dream because i'm telling you if you have experienced any of the spooky or the weird or some sasquatches or some big feeds i think those are the two same things we want to talk to you i don't really know what she's talking about right now <laughs> but um <laughs> anyway we had a really great interview with leroy nails who's the head of the bigfoot research organization of indiana and uh, we're going to try to get him rescheduled so that way we can redo the interview and get that done because they have something really cool coming out um, in a couple of weeks when this episode drops. Um, and if you're into Bigfoot at all and you are and you happen to be in Indiana, you might want to check that out. So we're going to try to get him back on the line and, and actually capture his audio because like the audio that we do have is just me and Jory enthusiastically talking to literally yeah. nobody. <laughs> he's a very, Leroy is a very genuine guy and he's very passionate about what he does. And if you are very serious and respectful of wanting to be interested in Bigfoot and all of that and the origin he will always be there to be a guide to bring you in. The biggest thing is they're really genuine people. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. And really I like- just want you to encompass the whole fun of trying to find Bigfoot and that the unknown is out there. My first whole take on Bigfoot was from my favorite Disney movie, a goofy movie with Bigfoot <laughs> with a pair of like headphones on, like staying the night away. Anyway. <laughs> All right, we're, we're talking about Bigfoot. <laughs> we need to be talking about a 10-year-old serial killer. So let's get back to us. Jory- Take it away. All righty. 
We are talking about Mary Floribel. Born May 26th, 1957 to 16-year-old Betty Nee McCricket in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. That's located in the United Kingdom. It's in the Northeast England area. So we're going to crack into Mommy Dearest here. From the moment Mary was born, her mom did not like her. It was definitely bad news bears all the way. To the point that it has been said that she told the doctors to take this thing away from me. Like, that's rough. That's already rough from the start there. Your own mother is telling the doctors upon your birth, take this thing away from me. What was her deal for that? What was the reason for that? Why was she such a uh, B word? I'm not really sure. I compared a lot of different articles and did a lot of research and... A lot of it, um, even from the YouTube documentary that I watched, it was a lot of just family saying what from like what they've seen and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just for some reason, she just always had this negative energy towards her daughter. Um, I didn't find a whole lot of research on Betty's mother herself, so I'm not really sure where she was at. If maybe she had passed away already, I'm not really sure. Um, so due to the nature of Mary's mother and also being a prostitute. It's wait, did you just slide that in there? <laughs> no, I said that before. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah. I mean, cause that's a b- pretty big deal. Yeah. So. so she was a 16 year old prostitute who just popped out a kid. No wonder she didn't want that. Yeah. So, you know, Mary's mom was, you know, bougie on the side. She was slipping it in to other guys and didn't need this on the side while she was trying to make her money. Who knows? There could be a whole different psychology behind it. I was not able to uncover any of that. Um, Due to her mother's absence and the nature of her business, you know, a lot of this was a break in Mary's mental health because she was very severely just mentally and physically abused by her mother. She tried to get rid of her multiple times. It's actually stated by her sister that she had physically seen Betty try to get rid of mary multiple times she actually tried to give her away to a woman locally in their town that had been unsuccessfully trying to adopt multiple times just take her take her away uh she was on quote air quotes here accident prone she fell out of a window she accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills and mind you this is like ages from birth to like age five that she has gone through all of this stuff um probably the biggest speculation that i can only draw from that i found from research as to why betty was the way she was it was speculated that she suffered from munchausen syndrome by proxy which when I was talking to you earlier, that's why I'd asked you if you'd seen that Hulu show based off that girl, Gypsy, who was in a wheelchair. Her mother suffered from the same disease. She basically made her daughter believe that she was bound into a wheelchair because... Oh, yes, yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay. People who suffer from this disease, they get something from the attention from the things they make up or do to other people. So it was believed that is that she, where the, she ended up like killing her mother yes oh, yes okay. i would really like to cover that story later down the road but basically it was said betty she emotionally got something from doing these accidents to her daughter 
and getting the attention from other people, the sympathy that came with it, that she's in the hospital because she fell from a window or she accidentally got a hold of some pills and she almost overdosed. So that was some of the belief there. Um, on later accounts, it was said that Betty also started to prostitute her own, her own daughter out. So it kind of just feels like, to me personally, if she couldn't get rid of her daughter, she was at least going to make her work and profit from it. Right. Like, so this poor girl has already suffered right, yeah. from a lot. She's already been dealt a lot of hands. I don't even know how I would deal with that at that age. Like, you're anywhere from three to five years old, and your mother has tried to kill you. You haven't had anything that's normal in your life. You haven't anything at all. So, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. A strangler is born. Um, Also, another thing that it's good to know is... Mary had also suffered, aside from her mother, she had actually seen her friend who was five years old uh, be ran over and killed by a bus, which makes me lead to think, Mm. how does that impact you? One, your mother has already tried to kill you, she's tried to give you away, and now you've actually seen what happens when you've been killed instantly before your eyes, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I'm all about psychology. Yo, her life sucks. (laughs) Yeah. There's no other way to describe it right now. I mean, she's just got the shittiest life that one yeah. could imagine. I mean, she's getting pimped out. She's like four years old or whatever. She, Her best friend got hit in front of her. Or did she push her? No. Ooh. Oh. Okay. No, anywhere I read that was she just, she might have been just spending time with her and she was ran over and killed by a bus. Um, This from... Basically, from, like, all the different articles that I pulled from, it was stated that just this one incident would add to just some of the strange and manipulative behavior that young Mary was going to start to possess over time from Mm -hmm. all the events leading in her life up until the point that she commits her first murder. Murder. Um, Also, it is said... That she may have suffered brain damage from the fall when she was when she fell from that window. I couldn't find any word that said if when she, she fell. Yeah, air quotes. When she air fell. quotes. I very much believed she was pushed. Um, that she suffered brain damage from her fall in her pure frontal cortex. Mm. And the thing to note about that is that is the part of the brain that is in control of voluntary movements and decision making so if that is true that she did suffer brain damage in that part of the brain not saying that makes her not guilty but when you've been dealt that hand of cards in life especially to a child that does play a big factor in as you go forward and during 1968, those were also very different times. So children of a mental state were treated very differently. So even if she did suffer and end up possessing handicapped traits from her brain damage from her fall, who knows to say that it would have actually been addressed. You know, during that time, there was a lot of movement going on, so things were changing. It was reported weeks leading to her first murder that she had been acting strangely. I read a lot that her teachers um, just noticed 
that she had a very big fascination with death. She just seemed very odd, misplaced with her other classmates. So this leads us into May 11th, 1968, when Mary had been playing with a three-year-old when he was badly injured and fell from the top of an air raid shelter. So those are pretty high up. Mm -hmm. It was led to believe that it was just an accident within probably like a couple days. um, Three mothers ended up coming forward to the authorities reporting Mary had attempted to choke their young daughters. Oh, wow. There really wasn't enough evidence to really have any charges filed, so it was dismissed. And then coming in hot on May 25th, 1968, this is just a day before uh, she turned 11, Mary Bell was playing with Martin Brown in an abandoned house in Scottswood, England, when she strangled him, and he was only four years old. She ended up briefly leaving the scene and get this. She went to go get her friend Norma. Why would you strangle somebody and then instantly think, I want to go get my best friend? I, I mean, need- she's not normal to no, by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. So. But that just fascinates me because, you know, being somebody who would never think to do that, like, it's just crazy to think that a young child would think, oh, I want to go get my friend. I want to show her what I just did. Um, Norma Bell, no relation at all. When they were approaching the house... On their way back, they came to find that two local boys had also been playing in the area and ended up stumbling upon Martin's body. So by this point, the authorities had already been alerted and an investigation was already in the process. Um, When law enforcement was on the scene, they were very confused because the only thing that was really found was blood and saliva. And the only actual like concrete evidence that they had was a pill bottle. So... It was very much ruled as an accident, especially like back in that day when I was watching the YouTube um, documentary that I found. There were a lot of people who lived in her area at the area at the time. And especially with it being in the 1960s, it wasn't very abnormal for a lot of kids to just be out on their own playing unsupervised. You know, it was a very tight niche community. Everybody knew each other. So it really wasn't weird. That parents went to work, kids went out to play if they weren't in school, and that's just how it was. It was a different time. Um, so yeah, due to all of this, you know, the pill bottle and just a little bit of blood and saliva, simply just rolled out that Martin got a hold of some pills and yeah, that he just kind of overdosed and probably p- passed away, which is really weird because when I think that a child gets a hold of a bottle of pills. I don't think they go all the way out to an abandoned building. Like they didn't have toxicology reports back then or anything or what? Yeah. You know, things weren't as advanced as it is now. But I mean, again, the biggest thing is I questioned, okay, if you were a parent and your kid got a hold of some pills, do you think that they would, and they decided they were going to swallow them. Do you think they would really make it that far all the way out into the woods in an abandoned building to take them? At four years old or three years old, I like I just that's where I'm at a loss at three years old. Why would you let a three-year-old or a four-year-old play outside by themselves? 
I don't know. Like, even in the 1960s, that seems like a bad idea. I remember even in the 90s when I was a kid, it was always I was going to be home by the time that the streetlights came on. And I had to let my parents know where I was going and who I was going to be with. Like, I remember one time I went and woke my mom up, at least at the time I thought I woke my mom up. And I told her, I was like, hey, I'm going to go across just, you know, next door to our neighbor's house and I'm going to play with our friend. And I didn't realize my mom was half asleep. My mom's like, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. I was literally at my friend's house just next door for three hours and my parents woke up and I walked back to over and they were panicked because they could not find me. And I'm like, I woke you up and told you where I was going. Like parenting is hard, but your kid is, I just couldn't imagine not knowing where my kid is at. But like I said, again, back in the day, when there wasn't cell phones and technology, it was a very, very different time. You have to remind yourself of that. I don't think a lot of bad us... parents going bad parent. That's all I got to say. Okay, but let me. Okay, I'm gonna go on a tangent. Let me ask you this: What could you imagine being back out in the 80s and your car breaks down on the side of the road? There is no payphone in sight. You can't just pick up your iPhone and just dial somebody to come pick you up. Like back in the day when you went to work. There was no texting to say when you were going to come home. It was you were going to be home when you were going to be home. And you had to trust that everything was going to be okay. Okay. And that's how it was back in the day, especially with kids. It was kids went out. Not when they're three and four. I mean, you kind of keep an eye on them. I mean, they can't make good decisions. They're fucking three and four, dude. Yeah. The bad parents going on bad parent. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I know. Trust me. A three-year-old. I I mean, come on. I remember when my goddaughters were three years old. I cannot imagine them just leaving, leaving the coop. But that's that's just how it was back then. All right. So she murdered Mount Martin Brown. Yeah. And the police think that he had some pills because there were some pills by him. Yep. So at this point, Martin's family didn't ever really speculate that there was foul play, even if they did, they weren't looking at another child. It wasn't until that Mary Bell, what the fuck? Mary Bell. Shows up at their doorstep the day after, like a couple days after Martin's death, asking to see the body. At this point, you know, Martin's mother is just explaining to her, you know, you know, Martin's passed away. He's not no longer here with us. Which leads Mary to state she wants to see his dead body in the coffin. Naturally, as a parent, Martin's mother is just like mortified and naturally slams the door in Mary's face. What would you do? What would you do if this like little girl, I think she was like nine years old at the time when she committed this murder, showed up your door? And you're grieving the loss of your three-year-old son, not your 23-year-old son, not your 50-year-old son, your three-year-old son, that she knows that he's dead. That was another thing I left out. She knows, she stated to the mother that she knows that, he, that he's been murdered and she wants to see his dead body in the coffin. Like, t- t- if it happened today? 
Yeah, if it happened today, what well, would... Well, first of all, if her mother was a 16-year-old prostitute who was living in my neighborhood, I would call CPS. But yeah. For, I mean, first... It probably wouldn't get that far. <laughs> you know? But uh, anyway... Oh, we have a visitor. She's hi- She's hiding behind the curtain. <laughs> Here she comes. She's coming in for two minutes and then she'll leave. Harley's dog, Mike. Or- <laughs> what? <laughs> Words words be hard sometimes. Mike's dog Harley. Good lord. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is what we get when we started drinking on the first recording. So after this incident that Mary had with Martin's parents, Mary and Norma, her friend Norma, who has the same last name as her, decided that they were going to break into a local nursery school. And they were going to vandalize it with notes, taking responsibility for Martin's death and promising to kill again. So clearly, whatever Mary is up to, she doesn't seem very concerned that she will get caught. It almost seems like she wants to get caught or just like her mother suffers from what they think that she may have Munchausen's disease by proxy. It's an attention thing. I like how she's literally basically saying hey, I did this. And nobody's like, nobody's got your onto it. They're just like, nah, I wonder who did this. I wonder who, and Mary Bell is like, literally like, I did it. I did, it was me. I did it. Yeah, like, you know like, like, oh, shut up, Mary. We're trying to talk. We're adults. We're trying to talk. Yeah, She's we're like trying. literally telling them, basically telling them. But yeah, we're trying to investigate. Well, I mean, I was already going to be getting into this later, but it was also said that she was known to be a show-off and a bit of a liar, so I feel she kind of had a representation that even though she was like, hey, look at me, I'm Mr. Meeseeks, like off of Rick and Morty, she was like, hey, I did this, and nobody believed her. So after Mary and Norma's break-in, the police just rolled it as just a really morbid prank. Um, for the school, this was just one of many of the break-ins and it eventually led them to actually installing an alarm. Eventually the alarm did help and aid in catching Mary and Norma in the scene of the crime. But when the police, see, here's the catch. When the police actually showed up when the alarm did work, they had already been on the outside of the school. So it just looked like they were loitering. Like these police were not connecting the dots to what was going on here. It's also really weird that the police weren't really catching on to anything or there wasn't anybody coming forward and saying anything to law enforcement because Mary um, also was like telling her fellow classmates that she was the murderer of Martin Brown. Like she was straight up bragging about it, wanted the bragging rights about it and wanted the attention from what she had done. Uh but like I said, Mary was known as a show-off. Right, and she a was li- a liar. Yeah, and a liar. And then not to mention with how people kind of thought back in the day and probably knowing that her mother was a prostitute, people were a lot written off a lot easier back in the day, looking back in history in all different walks of life. So that really... I'm a big history buff, so that doesn't really surprise me. Leading into July 31st of 1968, this is just two months at this point after the killing of Martin Brown, Mary, with the help from her friend Norma, 
decided to take their next victim, which was three-year-old Brian Howe. Once again, drumroll, strangulation. <laughs> bitches. <laughs> Those bitches. <laughs> Those young bitches. <laughs> the twist this time is Mary, for some freaking reason, probably related to her mother, decided that she was going to take a pair of scissors and mutilated the body of Brian Howe by scratching his thighs and butchering his penis. A three-year-old. But then again, if you think back to her mother, think of all the things that her mother put her through. And to me, again, and you're going to hear me say this multiple times, it really seems like she either A, wanted the attention, or she wanted to be caught. After this whole incident, naturally, Brian's sister came looking for her brother. The crazy thing is, Mary and Norma offered to help look for him. Of course they did. Yeah. And they basically pointed out where they hid the body, which was just under the ro- under a rock in the vicinity of where the murder happened. And Norma, being Mary's aide, naturally was like, no, that's where he wouldn't be. And the sister naively believed that, okay, he's, he's not there. Um, eventually, if, upon finally finding Brian's body, this just set out a wave of like panic throughout the neighborhood. Interviews were conducted with local children just in any hope to kind of figure out what had going had been going on because if you think about it, the first killing and the second killing just kind of happened in a matter of months. And back in those days, I mean, even now that would set an array of panic off. So the really interesting part was when the uh, coroner's report came back, when Brian's blood had cooled, some new marks had appeared on his chest. There was an M that had been razored or scratched into his torso. So, a little sketchy there. Also, it was basically ruled out that with the lack of force used in the attack, suggested that Brian's killer may have been a child. Hmm. Which, that hearing that is just eerie on its own. So, like before, Mary and Norma did a very, very, very poor job of diverting any attention or speculation to themselves and their interest in the case. Mary, when she was in, interviewed, was very evasive, just means that she was very withdrawn. When any questions were asked of her, she was very indirect um, about that she had been around or had seen when Brian, on the day of his death, anything like that. She was just very avoidant of whatever the police threw at her. When Norma was interviewed, she came off as she was very excited, like she was very willing to take credit um, or just, oh, the police want to interview me kind of type of thing. Um, It's also been said that I found in my research that on the day of Brian's funeral, Mary was spotted lurking around, hiding behind a tree around his house, although it was never confirmed. It was also said that she had been sighted laughing and rubbing her hands together upon seeing Brian's coffin. So, 
as I was doing research, it kind of seemed like to me, to Mary, it was almost in a most sadistic way. It was kind of a release to be yeah. doing what she was doing. So um, what did Norma do? Did she do it? Was she involved somehow? Like, how was she involved? What did she do? What, like, what What did she do? That's <laughs> What did she do? It doesn't say. It really doesn't say when we get into the court case, it was ruled out that she was just. She was the hype man. Yeah. Yeah. She was basically there. It was basically she was acquitted because it was said that she fell under the wrong influence and stuff like that. But we'll get into that more here in a second. So. Basically, over time. As they are trying to put the pieces together, they decide to interview Mary for a second um, a second time. When called back, Mary must have felt that maybe the walls were closing in on her. That by being called back a second time, that law enforcement may have just kind of had a whiff and maybe been on her trail. But for some reason... She decides to make up a story. She decides to make up this big, huge, elaborate story about some eight-year-old boy she claims to seen hit Brian on the day of his death. And she also claims that this older boy had a pair of broken scissors. But the thing is, the media, um, the, the law enforcement had never actually released to the newspapers, to the general mm. public... That the actual murder weapon, possible suspected murder weapon that they found on the scene of Brian's death had actually been released to anybody other than the law enforcement and Mary Bell herself who admitted to see this so-called eight-year-old boy. She done goofed. Yes. She basically put herself in a very bad position. At this point, it did not take long. For the police to break both the girls with further questioning, Norma, at this point, began to become very quickly cooperative with law enforcement and didn't take her very much longer to basically say that Mary had involvement in the case of Brian's death. And basically, at this point, Mary was not doing much for herself because she admitted to being present. At Brian's death, but naturally tried to place all the blame of Norma. So things are, stories are not adding up. And basically at this point, a court date is set. So December 17th, 1968, we are now into the first trial date of the Mary Bell and Norma Bell case. Um, a lot of what I found was the prosecutor told the court the reason behind Mary's murder murders were very much pleasure driven and the British press stated that she was evil born during the trial the court psychiatrist made a case that Mary's behavior showcased very much classic symptoms of being a sociopath and that she also couldn't be responsible for her own actions so a lot of what was going on in the trial was not working in her best interest. At this point, the jury found her guilty of manslaughter, not murder, and the verdict was made in late December. Like I said before, when you were asking me questions, Norma Bell was acquitted. 
She just wasn't found as a very willing accomplice. She was simply seen as a girl who just fell under bad influence. In the conclusion, the judge found Mary to be too dangerous and a threat to other children. So at this point, Mary was sentenced to be in prison at Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is basically just a British legal term that means it's just an undetermined sentence and until authorities feel appropriate to let her out. So it's very interesting to me because, you know, here in America, you go to court and you very much get a time length sentence, you know, whatever it's going to be. Whereas at this point, Britain just basically has this legal term that means it's an undetermined sentence. And until we find you fit to be free, we'll let you go. Unfortunately for Mary, it wouldn't be until 1980 when her freedom would be a possibility for her. Unfortunately? I I don't know. I'm... Not once, but twice she murdered somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very conflicted about if her freedom is an okay thing. Or not, because I very much, when I think of people, especially people at a young age who have been dealt a very bad hand of cards, I struggle very much because it's, if you read anything in psychology, they always tell you it is very, very, very important in the first few years of life that is very crucial to be very socializing with your child, being very proactive in their growth and their mental stability and their physical stability. It's very hard to blame Mary Bell for the things that she's done, but at the same time, I've also seen a lot of people overcome a lot of physical and mental abuse from other people and also still mentally come out as a very well-rounded person that would never do the things that Mary Bell did. But there are a lot of people who speculate that she should deserve her freedom and also have protection the way that she does, which I'm going to get into here shortly. 1980, Mary was... See, now you got me thrown off. 1980, Mary was released on license, which just basically means our version that she was on parole. She's still serving her sentence. She's just got very, very strict rules on what she can and can't not do. But she is back in... A bitch on house arrest? Yeah, she's a bitch on house arrest. She's normally... She's basically back in normal society. She... Do you think they had the ankle bracelet? Probably. I don't know. I'm just saying. Do you think that they would want to keep tabs on somebody who murdered two little boys? Yeah. I mean, I would. I'm just saying. She was given a new identity to help protect her from the tabloid attention, the general public, just in a way to help give her a new life. But, you know, people are nosy as fuck. Also with their new identity. Nosy AF. Yeah. Me. Yeah. So even with this new given identity, it was still very much hard. And even though she lived in... Wherever she decided to go, she still had to be forced to move to multiple different places because they still found a way. Tabloids, newspapers, people in general still found a way to invade her life. If I play this back and I hear nothing but creaky wood from you moving around, I'm going to kill you. So, (laughs) 
Or how many times did I say so? So. Moving on. Life after murder for Mary Bell. Things only continue to be rough for her. Uh, she did eventually have a daughter. Unfortunately. Unfortunately is a very common word with her. After having her daughter, the tabloids did find a way to track her down through her common law husband to gain the whereabouts of her. And it was just a matter of time before tons of journalists, tabloids, so on and so on, found a way to swarm her house and eventually forcing her to leave again. It was also said that I, um, from the research that I read, that they had to put... They literally had to flee with their bed sheets like over their head. That's how bad it was. How many people were interested in the fact. And at this point, when this happened, her daughter was 14 years old. So she had no knowledge that her mm-hmm. mother was a child murderer or any of the things prior to her mother's life. To her, her mom was her mom. None of this had ever happened. So. So moving so, on. <laughs> moving on. Where is Mary Bell today? She is, she would be 63 years old today. That's how old she is. Where is a senior citizen? Her whereabouts are unknown. She was still given protection. She is in an unknown address living with her daughter. And like Not I, her common law husband anymore? What happened? Didn't see anything didn't about that. Didn't work them. out, huh? It's yeah. hard to make life work with a child serial killer. Yeah. I would imagine. So she's living with her daughter in a secret address. 63-year-old, living it up. Like I said, there were a lot of conflicts in opinion whether she deserved protection or not. Um, I did find that Martin's mother, the first person that she killed, told the media it's all about her and how she is to be protected. As victims, we are not given the same rights as killers. Right. Which that kind of like really kind of struck a chord with me because that really made sense, especially being interested in true crime and stuff like that. It really kind of made me question, that does make a point. Why isn't the family that is grieving a death ever protected by tabloids and newspapers, but the person who actually committed the murder is more protected? So that was actually really interesting reading that quote. And that is the story of Mary Bell. Mary Bell. She's out there, folks, probably. She is. We just don't know. And for the last 40 years, she's been good. I don't know, Jory, do you think she deserved to have another life after all that? I, like I said, I'm very conflicted because me personally, I have been through stuff in my life as well that have been very mentally abusive and challenging and not condoning what she did. But it does make me think that a lot of people really need to be more interested in psychology. I personally believe that no matter what your degree is in college, I believe everybody should have to take a psychology class because how you perceive how people think and how you react is very important and will always play an important part in anything you do in life and how to do that well and can compassion is going to be very important by teaching yourself psychology you might be able to save somebody that might be in the beginning stages of mary bell that needs to be relocated needs to be with a family that loves them whereas mary bell did not have a chance at all she was very much born into a very difficult life 
to a mother who did not want her. And if you know how you feel when you're rejected, that plays a very big part on a child's mind. So maybe the takeaway from this is to help avoid from creating serial killers or the people like Mary Bell that had so much darkness in her, we need to be able to read the signs to save these people from being able to go down that path. So, no, I do not condone that she killed these two little boys, but I also believe that there's two sides to every story, and I believe that there is preventative care that people can take to avoid these kinds of incidents, but that's where it comes with learning from the past and learning from people who have been in this situation to get to that point. And I guess that's really my message that I kind of took away from Mary Bell was pay attention to the people that you live around. Pay attention to your neighbors. Pay attention to the same customer that comes in with their three-year-old every single day at the grocery store that you work at the checkout and be the person who's smart enough to see the signs and notify the people that may need to reach out and help these people. Because maybe if somebody would have taken Mary Bell away from her mother, maybe these two children would still be alive today. So what Jory is saying is, even if you don't feel like being a Karen, be a Karen and call CPS. Yes. <laughs> be the good kind of Karen. All right. Well, there we have it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm on the fence as well as to whether or not she should have been... Uh, let go but i don't know it's all up to you either way um that was the case of mary bell who murdered two young boys in cold blood and wanted to get caught and then did get caught and now was residing somewhere at 63 years old with her daughter well everybody that's all we have for you tonight on our covering of the mary bell case um so jory why don't you tell the people where they can find us if they're interested in checking us out you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook at strange heart pod look us up yeah it's pretty simple we also have a brand new website which we uh, do. just finished a couple weeks ago so we talked about it at the beginning of the we episode we talked about it at the beginning of the episode but some is, people might forget it's been a little it bit it is so. fabulous so it's worth hearing about twice that's right um and then we are also working with a graphic designer to uh put out some new merch so every little bit helps um and so yeah with that said i'm mike waterhouse i'm jory savers and good night night. (laughs)